This is the Overclocked Podcast, a weekly dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org. This week, we chat with composer Neil Acree, welcome Laura and Travia back to the show for our second installment of Between the Lines, and close things out with a genre so prolific, it could have its own podcast, MMO Music. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the Overclocked Podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and joining me today is my brother and co-host, I forgot your name, John? Um, Stefan. Drew. It's me, your old Larry. friend, Stefan. Steven. Stefan Roth. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, so that's that's the first little interesting bit of news. Yo. Uh, last week, we went to see the Final Fantasy um what's distant the, world the distant, i think realm reborn but that's something else. that's an mmo it was like the grand climax of all the final fantasy listening you've been doing yeah. over the past like five months for months and months as many of you probably already know despite not having played very many final fantasy games and liking even fewer of those i wanted to listen to the entire series um of the main uh installments one to 14 yeah. and i did and uh, right when I finished it up, lo and behold, Distant Worlds, the Final Fantasy official symphonic concert, came to Houston. And boy, it was an amazing concert. It's at Jones Hall. We've been there many times for video games live. We were there for Symphony of the Goddesses, which is the Zelda concert. And Final Fantasy did not disappoint. It was phenomenal. Um, they did play One Winged Angel. They did. It was the surprise, not surprise ending. Uh, I think yep. my highlight, as I already told you, but the listeners don't know this, I think my highlight was the Final Fantasy VI character theme medley, which I think oh, was yeah. kind of a new addition to the rotation. I expected that would be. And one of the beautiful things about hearing my favorite Final Fantasy soundtrack VI um, in concert is the fact that I've only listened to, aside from a scant few remixes, the source material, the SNES music. So it was a revelation and just beautiful and amazing to hear it with a full symphony right there in front of me. It was, yeah, it was something else. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure we'll be going again next year if they come back since it'll Absolutely. be the 30th anniversary of Final Fantasy, I think. Yeah. Um, so they're having a big, a big to-do about that. But speaking of Final Fantasy, Steve, we actually have some Final Fantasy in this week's Remix Rewind. No kidding. So let's go ahead and recap the latest from ocremix.org. I can do this. Imagine a flourishing country where the people were truly friendly, the government was truly fair, the children were safe and happy, and the amazing feats of technology were used for fun, not war. Metro Xavier's Secret of Mana remix, Psalm of the Summer Sky, conjures a land where the sunlight shines on gleaming glass, and kids race through the air on jet boards, and I want to live there.
the good vibes continue in Blue Lighter's A Kingdom Under the Sea. Marking OCR's first entry from Alex Kidd in Miracle World since 2002, the breezy, flowing melodies of this relaxing tune are like a casual stroll through the streets of an old village, with a brief detour via bombastic brass and snappy snare onto Main Street, where a great parade is in full swing. for the shadows. Sapphire's Final Fantasy IX remix, Filtering Through the Memories, is like a curiosity-fueled exploration deep into buried and forgotten places. The hints of darkness we hear up front gradually become full-on danger, illuminated only by the bravery of our intrepid explorer. The slow build to a sudden end leaves us guessing at the explorer's fate, and you may find yourself sending several search parties in after them via the replay button. Last week's guest, Maze Dude, gives us a remix from Tyrion, considered too dark and heavy for the American Pixels album. This bonus track, The Beautiful Spaceships, draws on influences like Marilyn Manson to produce a heavy-hitting sci-fi warzone of a sound. 
It's thunder and fire with a heart made from pumping pistons. A musical muscle car like only Americans make. The pipe maze from Super Mario 3 is reborn in DDR Kirby's Underground Pipe Society. Making a full-size track out of an 8-second loop is a challenge, but DDR Kirby takes inspiration from the twisting tangle of the infamous World 7, taking what looks straightforward, then going in every direction but the end. This smoking hot EDM labyrinth is both complex and fun, and unlike its source, you won't be tempted to skip it with a warp whistle. these remixes and more head over to ocremix.org 
Welcome back, everyone, to another In Tune interview where we talk to music makers about the music that they make. It's me, Steven, your host once again. Brian uh, got lost along the way. Um, he's still in that aquarium in San Francisco, uh, I think. I'm sort of obsessed with trying to catch the aquatic Pokemon um, while he's there. Um, but hey, uh, as always, I'm not alone. I've got Neil Acre. Hey, Neil. Hey there, Steven. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm very excited to talk to you tonight. Likewise. Yeah, um, we had Neil on our old show, Train Station at 8, a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half at this point. Um, and he he's maybe, I don't know, what would you say you're most well-known for? Is it just, is it the Blizzard stuff, do you think? Yeah, probably. And and I think a lot of people don't realize that I, I worked on the Stargate SG-1 TV series as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fond memories there. Oh, yeah, definitely. You've done TV, you've done movies before. Have you done movies yeah, I've done about 30 films. Okay, you have done mm-hmm. movies. Nice. Nice. And, of course, video games, which is the main reason we have you here today. We're going to be talking uh, very shortly about um, Revelation Online. Um, so, let's start with that. What is Revelation? It's a Chinese fantasy MMO mm-hmm. by a company called NetEase. And uh, NetEase is actually the company that releases and distributes Blizzard's games in China, mm-hmm. but also they have games of their own. And uh, 60% of the world's World of Warcraft players are in China, so it's, it's a huge market. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so Revelation Online is, is uh, it's sort of this, uh, this open world Chinese fantasy game that the players can, you know, have wings and fly through the air and, mm-hmm. you know, Fight monsters and all the things that you do in MMOs. Sort of and a striking visual design from all the things that I've seen. Yeah, it's a, it's a very beautiful game. And um, they had a, a best-selling author in China write the story for it. Oh, that's cool. So it's got, it's got a lot of really interesting things going for it. So is this game available um, in Western regions at all right now? Not yet. It's currently uh, a company, a Russian company is going to be releasing it soon in Russia and then Europe and North America probably uh, early next year. Oh, that's nice. Cool. So there's something to look forward to. Yeah. Cool. But besides that, we'll get back to Revelation soon. Um, What kind of stuff have you been working on? You were involved in Overwatch, right? Yes. um, Overwatch was such an incredible game and I, I played a lot and the Blizzard makes such great games. This is this is a really special one mm-hmm. um, that came out at the end of May, and um, coming up soon is uh, World of Warcraft Legion, which is the uh, sixth expansion to World of Warcraft. Yeah, it's coming out almost almost this month. It's in August, August right? August thirtieth. Yeah. Man, right? it's super close. By the time this goes up, it'll probably just about be August. So. Yeah, that, that's super exciting. As everyone is probably painfully aware at this point, um, I love Overwatch and I love World of Warcraft. Um, so, yeah, both of those projects pretty close to my heart. Awesome. Yeah, in fact, I, I don't I don't know if you were involved in the, the, the song everyone knows from Overwatch. Yeah, that was mine. We we um, uh, we did the cinematic, uh, which uh-huh. is the kind of the cinematic trailer where the that's set in a museum and the, the you know the kids are uh, talking and all of a sudden the you know all the characters kind of crash through yeah. the roof and all hell breaks loose. 
and, and so the the you know the heroic theme of that cinematic was was what ended up becoming the victory theme and you know Derek Duke who's the the project music supervisor for mm-hmm. Blizzard as well as uh lead composer uh took that theme and adapted it for the the gameplay and i got to say I, I love playing the game and there's nothing better than winning a match and getting to hear my own music it's <laughs> it's awesome Yeah, I have heard that song so many times <laughs> at this point. It's burned into my brain, but it's it's a great one. It is. Thank you. Um, but I'm kind of glad we're talking about Revelation Online because fewer people know about this game and about the music, and it it actually is something pretty special. Listening to the soundtrack, um, it's it's amazing and familiar to me because it reminds me a whole lot of Mists of Pandaria. which is my favorite um, expansion from World of Warcraft. It's also probably my favorite selection of music from, from World of Warcraft as well. Wow, thank you. So, do, so did, did you work on Mists of Pandaria as well? I did. Okay, so I'm guessing that that taught you... I, I assume you did that before Revelation, right? Yeah, yes, by a couple of years. Okay, nice. So did you learn a whole lot through that process of working with Chinese instruments and you know, kind of merging them with a more... Um, I guess you could say Western film score style. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with that, that game, uh, Mr. Pandaria was kind of like we were creating this Asian fantasy world that existed within Azeroth, within the world of Warcraft. So, mm-hmm. so we, we had to still kind of keep it in those, you know, in that sort of style of yeah. the world of Warcraft, but there was still a lot of room to explore that. And that was the first time I got to write that kind of music. And I, I found that it's not only something I really enjoy doing, but something that kind of felt very familiar and comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. I I think it's because I grew up, my, my dad loved Asian culture and would uh, watch a lot of Kung Fu movies. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was, a, he taught Tai Chi for many years and uh, became a Buddhist later in life, like just a lot yeah. of surrounded by a lot of that. And I, and I, the time came, you know, I'm, I'm writing this music and I just found it to be so um, satisfying. It, it just something about it. It does sound really natural. It somehow nestles in so perfectly in the Warcraft universe. And then, you know, moving on to create a whole new universe for Revelation. Um, it, it feels it feels smooth and natural and like all the instruments somehow belong together, which I find really impressive. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's every, every instrument from different, different countries, you know, kind of has its counterpart in the Western orchestra, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Arhu, which is a Chinese violin, uh, you know, fits nicely in the violin range of the orchestra as well yeah. as the, you know, the Chinese bamboo flutes and, and various instruments fit in the woodwind range and the guchong, which is a kind of a Chinese zither mm-hmm. fit, fits in the harp range. So the, it's, it's actually very, every culture has its own, uh, set of instruments, but oftentimes they, they do lend, you know, lend themselves very well to the Western orchestra. But they also, from my somewhat limited understanding, is the the newbiest of music makers, 
there is a different a different range and a different scale that you'll get in you know Chinese music versus the music that you might hear in something like World of Warcraft. Yeah, it's a, the the pentatonic scale, which you know if you were to uh, play a piano and only play the black keys, mm-hmm. that, that would be your pentatonic scale. It's a five note scale. And if you, you know, you play the white notes, then that's a diatonic scale and that's right. seven, seven notes. So there, you know, the, the limited notes kind of creates right off the bat, you, you start playing something only limited to five notes and it kind of starts sounding a little Chinese or maybe native American. Sure. And, um, you know, and that's the, the start of it. That's the, the most, a basic explanation of it and then what's interesting though is that the the japanese scales uh they have a few of them and they are also five notes but they're different five notes mm-hmm. so you kind of kind of create a, a slightly more exotic sound and and that with revelation i was able to explore a little more uh go into the japanese side of things a little bit because you know they were they were looking for though it is a very asian score it, it does have you know, it's not specifically Chinese. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, in in uh, Pandaria, were you guys more focused on hitting that Chinese style or did you kind of venture into all sorts of cultures with that too? It was kind of like a, a you know, Pan-Asian sound, I suppose. You yeah. Know, m- most of the instruments were Chinese. I, I think the, if you look at the Pandaren and, and the, uh, a lot of the cultural stuff, the, the, the references in the artwork, I think a lot of it was very Chinese influence. So that was sure. the majority of it. But yeah, a lot of Japanese shakuhachi flute thrown in there. It's it's one of those things. You take a little bit of artistic license because, you know, I think that the average person isn't going to necessarily hear the combination of the, the two mm-hmm. different, you know, cultures and say, oh, that's that's wrong. I think you just kind of feel a general, you know, at least at least as a foreigner, that's I, I kind of take it all in and all kind of becomes this pan-asian sound yeah it's sort of like trying to establish a certain emotion um and you know you can use any any color palette to make that painting um but you know pick certain colors and you get a certain certain look yes kind of the same thing with music um but the the song we're going to talk about a little more in depth is the main theme from revelation online right the chosen yes so that one is, I, I want to heartily recommend to everyone to go watch the music video that accompanies this. We'll link it in the show notes. We'll also play it here in a minute. Um, but that video was super well produced, Neil. Like, d- did you get someone from like the publisher to help you make that? Or how did that process work? No, I, I, um, I had a, uh, a friend uh, film it, film the session, all, you know, all the sessions because mm-hmm. I was really excited about the music and I thought this is something really different and unique and especially getting to work with these soloists who were bringing such incredible, uh, artistry to, to the music. I wanted to have some kind of documentation of it. So I, I recorded, you know, all the footage, had all that done during the session. And then, you know, a couple of years went by just, you know, busy finishing the score and moving on to other things. And, um, and then got the uh, the album released, which mm-hmm. was you know t- it took a while to make that happen. But um, on the eve of the album getting released, I thought, you know what, I have this footage. I should I should really put something together just to kind of kind of help give people an idea because because people aren't going to have played the game. Um, you can hear the music, but they're it, having a visual representation of 
you know, both what, what went into the music as well as a little bit of the gameplay, a little mm-hmm. bit of the, the, the scenery from the game. I, th- I felt it would just uh, say so much more about the game, so much more about the music than even the music could itself. Yeah. It gives you a, like a look through every window you need to look through. It's, it's a pretty, pretty neat process. I'm hoping to do more of those for some of the other pieces, but that's, Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I've limited footage of what I actually recorded. So this might actually involve filming new things, which is a whole different producing music videos is not something I specifically set out to do, but you know, this one was so well received. I I figured I might as well look into that. And I feel like it does a whole lot to pique people's interest in it because I don't know, just, just seeing it there right in front of you, everything synced together tells you so much more than you could just get from the music. So, um, I could see it being a, a nice entry point for people who are interested in the game too. So, Absolutely, yeah. um, but so for the song itself, before we play it, like the context of it, is this like a, does this ever play fully in the game? Is it a title screen kind of thing? Yeah, it's the login music. So okay. it's, it's what you, what you hear while you're selecting your character and, there's a lot of um, cust- character customization options and cool, and so this basically, you know, it, most games have a kind of a login screen where you hear the music. If you you can just sit there for a minute and listen, or you can get mm-hmm. right into the game. But that's where it is. It's always my favorite part of an RPG, especially an MMO, because the music is usually top notch. And then I love just spending an hour creating the character. So, yeah. I, like War, World of Warcraft, for example, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent idling on that login screen, mm-hmm. you know, trying to decide what color my hair needs to be until it finally logs me out because I spent 30 minutes yeah. on one selection. But so, what were you trying to capture? I guess emotionally for the theme of this game because you know you mentioned before there's there's flight in it um and it has that sort of asian styling but how much did you know before going into the composition well i i saw i saw a bit of gameplay uh footage that had already been out on youtube and and they had already done some early demos of the game so i was able to kind of see you know what the game looked like they gave me a pretty detailed you know backstory Mm -hmm. um that i I would have no ability to repeat right now, but um, <laughs> just just a lot of like talking about dragons and how the the world was formed and and it's not super unfamiliar from the World of Warcraft palette of this grand adventure you're going to go on an epic tale. This is going to set the stage, kind of thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I ended up doing so. It's kind of it has two halves, as you can hear. If there's right. the first minute or so um, that it's got a little more. Um, sort of peaceful and, and ancient and then kicks into the percussion and it's just a lot more um a little more energy to it. Mm-hmm. Also trying to combine certain you know, harmonically speaking, there's a lot of you know pentatonic as I mentioned, but then there's a lot of kind of Western Western chord progression thrown in here and there just to kinda, you know, bring it a little bit outside of the the traditional, you know, Chinese palette. Well this is probably a good time to pause for a second and play the song and then we'll be back to talk about it.
That was The Chosen, the main theme from Revelation Online. Um, I hope you got chills because I did the first five times I listened to it. <laughs> really good work, Neil. Thank um, you. And like you said before, there are so many interesting instruments working together in this. Um, you mentioned the Arhu's in there, the, uh, per, you know, forgive my horrible pronunciation, but the Gujing. Guchong. Uh, Guchong? Guchong. Guchong. Okay. I think I got it 80% hmm. right. Um, funny story about that instrument. About... The, actually, the very month that um, uh, we talked in the last interview, I bought Brian, my brother, um, one of those for Christmas. Oh, wow. Because um, I'm like, oh, man, he's getting into music production. He wants to learn a new interesting instrument. And I, and, and to an extent, he had fallen in love with the Chinese sound, and largely thanks to Mr. Pandaria. Um, and it's still downstairs and it's just the, it's the coolest thing in the house. But yeah, all that to say, um, the, the rainbow of instrumentation in this song is just so fun to listen to. There, there's definitely a, um, a pipa in there somewhere, at least at the end, on top of the strings and the choir and the brass and the drums and some kind of clangy thing that I don't even know what it is. Chinese opera bells. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Nice. So how did you go about like, curating and finding all these instruments um you know i don't know what i would have done without the internet you know <laughs> if i had to do this a few years ago but yeah i mean there's there's aside from you know doing a lot of research online uh my music supervisor Fei yu um she is a great resource for a lot of these instruments because she she grew up in china and you know not only uh, was familiar with them but could you know give me some recommendations um, and then, you know, once I assembled a palette, uh, pretty much just found every instrument, every sample I could find because I had to, you know, be able to mock this up. Uh -huh. So every sample I could find from every library I could possibly get my hands on, uh, put it all into one palette and then just started making it. And then once, once all that was mocked up, then yeah, you know, then I, I had to actually find players to replay some of the. Mm -hmm. you know, the sampled melodies. And, um, you know, I, I found a great group of people. Uh, Karen Hahn played Arhu and she's the, she played on Memoirs of a Geisha for John Williams, which is awesome. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And then um, uh, Bebe Hay, she was the uh, Guchong player. G.A. Ma, uh, Pipa player. I even had a, a shamisen in there, which is like a Japanese guitar <clears throat> oh, okay yeah i missed that one i there's don't think a, i've heard of that before not in that piece but it's in, there's a piece called spirit town on the on the soundtrack Well, one side question, and pardon uh, listeners if this is too technical, but I'm very interested. What um, kind of woodwinds did you use? Let's say there there was uh, the shakuhachi, the ditsi, um, uh -huh. the shao, as uh, well. I mean, even did some uh, Middle Eastern instruments like the ney and the duduk uh, for some of the oh, other cool. kind of very wide. As I mentioned, it's kind of not just a pan Asian kind of thing, but uh, you know, one of the pieces was actually kind of Middle Eastern sounding. So, so were there any standout instruments or techniques that you kind of discovered along the way that 
were memorable to you? You know, it's great working with the musicians because they not only they, they grew up playing the instruments, they grew up playing the repertoire of the instruments, and they mm-hmm. you know grew up in the country where the instrument was originated. And you know what I always do is I'll I'll, I'll write a melody and make it sound as as authentic as I can, but also you know writing writing through my voice, which you know is is gonna have is gonna be a little western no matter what. Right. But um, have them, you know, play it a few times, get a few takes, try to get it to sound as close to what I originally envisioned as possible. And then once they kind of have it under their fingers, I always have them play, do a take where they kind of just interpret it as if they had grown up playing it. Mm. As if, you know, just like forget everything, forget, you know, put the paper down, put the notes down and just just, give this to me as if you were... You had been studying this since a child. You were a child, and um, just kind of make it your own, and, right. and do what it, comes naturally. And every time, there's something really magic happens right there. Yeah, because you get you get the the essence of the melody, but then you get something, you know, that they understand the instrument in a way I I couldn't even if I spent the rest of my life you know studying it because they they grew up with that. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone has a different way of interpreting it and playing it. So when you get a room full of people together, then I, yeah, it's it's just it's going to take off so much more than it did on the screen. And you just had your mock up, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, that's it. the other thing too is I had to I had to mock everything up. There was there was an early test of the game, uh, so I had to for one I had to you know create mock ups that the that the company would approve uh, mm-hmm. to you know to move you know forward on the budget, but they also needed. You know, earlier versions of them, and I, I explained. It's like I'm going to do my absolute best to try to make this sound authentic, but it's really hard with samples, especially. You know, yeah. I don't know if you're you're familiar with Chinese music. There's a lot of like kind of bends and, yeah. um, you know, glissing glissandi that happen. You know, uh, in the instruments that doing that with samples, the only way you can really do that is with like a, a pitch bend. Which yep. kind of sounds like this, che- you know, cheesy '80s synth solo, you know, when you're doing it. Uh-huh. And um, so I did the best I could, and uh, you know, got it approved. And then you know, they wanted to use use it for an early test, and I said, let's let's get some soloists on this because yeah, you know, that would make a huge difference. Yeah, I mean the the orchestra, you know, we can wait on the orchestra because you know that sounds sounds okay, but this this. Uh, the soloists are going to bring so much more, and they they certainly did. So, an earlier version of the score had just you know sampled orchestra and uh, you know the live soloist, but even that was night and day better than just the samples. Yep. Yeah, I know you're definitely right. There's so much you know. How are you going to sample in Arhu properly? Right? Yeah. It's just it isn't going to sound right. And you can use you can there's there are sampled phrases that exist. Which you know you can use to a certain degree, but I didn't want to make the score just a collection of phrases that somebody else played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're so, very limited with that sort yeah. of palette. Um, so did you um, did you start everything with that main melody that? Everything else, everything kind of relied on getting that right. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, even though it actually doesn't, that melody doesn't come back in the rest of the score. Um, you'll hear a, a couple other versions of it on the soundtrack, but that happened much later. Right. But initially, 
they they had you know that they wanted you know a theme for the for the login and then everything else they did was kind of uh, different areas that had a completely different sound so but i i did know that having having a very defined theme at the beginning something that had um a very specific sound once i had that you know figured out that the rest of it would be a lot easier and it was yeah no that makes a lot of sense getting that getting the, i guess the core of it right is a pretty big step um was there anything was this a revision heavy project did you throw out early ideas or did it snap together quickly yeah well the, this this piece in particular it, it i think they originally wanted like a minute and a half piece uh-huh. uh or or much shorter and i sent it to them i had i you know went through a few different uh versions of it on my own and finally found something that I, I thought I liked, but I, I kept, it, it was a lot different than I think than, than they, than I thought what they wanted, mm. but it, but it came to me very naturally and I felt strongly about it. So I thought, you know what, this may not be what they asked for, but I'll send it and, and hopefully they like it. And strangely enough, some of, some of my favorite and most popular pieces have been like that. I, where I set out to do one thing ended up with something different that I wasn't too sure of. And then yeah. re- like night song was another case like that, where I kind of reluctantly sent it off thinking that they yeah. don't have, they don't have songs in Warcraft. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to learn more about night song, head back to train station at eight, where we talk about it for a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, but I love those kinds of stories. The ones that, the, the underdogs, the unexpected tales of victory. Yeah. So, so I had, so it was a shorter piece and, um, I sent it and they they loved it, so they said, "Hey, let's make this longer." And I added a couple of minutes to it and said, "Let's make it even longer." And ended up being five minutes, which is, you know, one of the longer kind of fully developed themes I've done. Yeah, and um, and it's it's a it's a great amount of time to really you know explore every aspect of it, and then even have a section in the middle, which you don't hear in the um, in in the video right. I made. But there is a section in the middle. The, the video I made is about three minutes long, and the actual piece is five minutes long. So there's a section in the middle that kind of, you know, a softer section that is a, is a really important part of the piece that, uh, you know, on, on the longer version, um, I was able to, to do that. So I'm glad they, they were able to extend it a little bit. You know, getting to write something kind of very evocative and melodic like that, it's it's a rare opportunity. And I'm lucky that I've got to do that more than once in games. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think about in action scoring or, uh, you know, like in movies and that kind of thing, there's just not a lot of opportunities to do, just really put it all out there and, and make it as, as, you know, not schmaltzy, but just kind of put as much emotion into yeah. it as possible and um and that's still my my favorite part and i've got to conduct it uh a few times now oh and that's every, awesome every time when it gets to that middle part it's just you know i i love conducting that yeah oh i can't blame you it looks like a complete rush to be up there while the entire orchestra is playing the song um yeah i can only imagine how awesome that would feel um well i mean i guess we can sort of start to wrap things up um is there anything else you wanted to point out or mention about the song we didn't get to yet yeah i mean we um we recorded the soloists uh in uh you know individually in in burbank uh yeah. my 
engineer was Jorge Velasco. And uh, we recorded the the orchestra in uh, Seattle at the Bastyr University Chapel, which is where we do all the World of Warcraft stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, engineer was John Kurlander, who is a legend, uh, worked with the Beatles and recorded the Lord of the Rings scores. And I've been working with him for eight years now. And, and he's one of my favorite people. And he's, he's just an incredible engineer. Great that guy. really cool. Yeah. So um, recorded the... The majority of the score orchestrally, and then some of it was uh, more, you know, predominantly uh, the soloist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I just want to talk about the album. Uh, it was is one of those things like the the game is not out yet in the U.S. Right, and the score is not. Um, you know, the only attention it's getting is is word of mouth, and I I really wanted to thank Robert Townsend who. Uh, you know, from Varese Airband, who uh, believed in the music enough to to put it out despite the fact that the game's not out, and right. uh, and it's also you know Varese is like one of the top film score labels, you know, and it's yeah. not they're not known for game scores. They they've only done one other game, and that was like 15 years ago. Who? So you know, it's it's it feels it feels great to know that not only is game music being accepted. Uh, you know, in the in the film music circles, more and more every year. Uh, but this that this score is, you know, has gotten the word of mouth recognition and and uh, exposure that it has because that means that people, you know, believe in it and yeah, people have have been incredibly supportive. And I you know just want to thank everyone for for being behind the score from the beginning. It's an amazing thing and very heartening, um, even from my perspective. You know, when I, when you brought this up, um, I realized that it wasn't out in the U.S. yet. So I, you know, I went to the old routine of digging through YouTube and forums and to, to find the source tracks. And, and I'm like, oh, no, this is like this is on Amazon. I can just <laughs> buy this digitally on Amazon. And yeah. it's pretty amazing that it had that weight thrown behind it because it's still somewhat of a rarity. It is. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Um, I'm I'm really glad we got to play it here on the show, and hopefully, people will end up checking out the rest of the score too. Yes. Well, uh, Neil, thank you very much for spending some time with us. This is really fun to talk to you for a while. Thank you, Stephen. I always enjoy it. Definitely. Um, and hopefully, we'll have you on again sometime. Um, who knows? Is there anything you have uh, coming up in the future that you can talk about yet? Well, there's you know, World of Warcraft Legion is mm-hmm. you know just over a month away. Um, there's also a series of, uh, animated shorts called Harbingers that, uh, you know, uh, World of Warcraft has, it's kind of the, the lore that's, uh, preceding the release of the game. Those, so maybe by the time this airs, it'll already be out there. Yeah, those and and I uh, recently did a film called The Saint based on the '60s TV series. How oh, cool! Not sure when that's coming out, but um, it's always fun to do to do films. Yeah, I'm also working on a game called Epic Tavern, which is the world's first fantasy management RPG. 
oh i think i need to play that uh, <laughs> you said all the words that i like <laughs> that's great man you have a lot of a lot of things in the oven right now that's cool yeah it's, it's great to be busy i love it and if people want to find you on the internet uh, where can they do that uh, on Twitter at at Neil N E A L underscore Acre, which is A C R E E. I have a Facebook fan page as well, and you can always email me at info at neilacre dot com. That's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, that'll do it then, Neil. Thanks again. Thank you. Um, and we'll bring you back to the show. I personally find fire versus ice themes in games to be really fun. Not only are the gameplay elements usually drastically different between those two worlds, but the music also generally has to reflect that difference as well. Hailfire Peaks in Banjo-Tooie, for example, is one of the first games I can recall, where the fire and ice worlds inhabit the same space, as in the same level, and Grant Kirkhope employed the classic technique of maintaining the musical theme, melody, and harmony, but changing the orchestration to suit the environment. In the case of Hellfire Peaks, we had a full sound with brassy tones on the fireside. and a gentle music box approach for the ice. this is clear, we as players, and as humans, view fire and flame to be a living, vibrant source of energy, so the full orchestration and fearless brass melody line remind us of that on the fire side. Whereas we associate ice and coldness with literally being frozen, asleep or in suspended animation, and in some cases, depending on how dark you want to be, death, so the music box tones remind us of a lullaby, in my opinion, of a world asleep. The fact that we're dealing with two starkly contrasting worlds only makes it easier to write a double-sided theme. It's quite straightforward to change just a few orchestrational elements and voila, you have two totally different pieces. However, in the Freeze Flame Galaxy world of Super Mario Galaxy, composer Mahito Yokota took the compositional differences a step further and altered not only the orchestration, but the nature of the composition itself through the use of polyrhythms. In my last segment about the Great Bay Temple from Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, we talked about polythematic composition, that is, the use of two conflicting themes simultaneously. Polyrhythm is very similar, and in fact, it's exactly what it sounds like. According to Wikipedia, it's the simultaneous use of two or more conflicting rhythms that are not perceived as deriving from one another or as simple manifestations of the same meter. In typical music theory fashion, that definition leaves a lot up to interpretation. What does it mean to perceive a theme or rhythm as deriving from another? Let's go back to Hailfire Peaks for a second. You can hear that we have a few different rhythms running concurrently here. We've got the bass line, the melody line, and the music box accompaniment over top. The 
these would not be considered polyrhythms because they're all clearly supporting one another and they're operating within the same meter. When we're looking for a polyrhythm, we're looking for rhythms that do not derive from each other, that don't support each other, or that they don't exist in the same meter, which is very obvious. Speaking of meter, meter is how we divide music into groupings of beats, measures, or bars that provide the pulse of the music. When representing music visually on paper, in sheet music, we use a time signature to notate the meter, like 4-4 four, four, or 3-4 four, or 6-8. You can have any number of beats per measure. If the number of beats per measure is some multiple of 2, like 2 or 4 or 8 or something like that, then we would refer to that type of meter as being duple or quadruple meter. beats we have per measure is some multiple of three, we would call it triple meter. two terms there that we're using to describe the number of beats per measure or per large group, duple or triple. But we can also describe how the beats themselves divide. If the beat divides into a multiple of two, we call it simple. If it divides into a multiple of three, we call it compound. Simple meter versus compound meter is something that you feel when you're listening to a composition. You don't necessarily need to look at it on paper to know what's happening. When you put the two meters together on top of each other, you'll really feel the difference. And that's what happens in Freeze Flame Galaxy. That's what would constitute a polyrhythm, because simple and compound meters are not really derived from one another, and they also conflict when you hear them. So let's dive in. Right at the top of the piece, on the ice side of the galaxy, which is where you start, we're presented with an ostinato, which is an unchanging melodic or rhythmic pattern. We hear it in a high, spacey, synth-like flute, and it continues throughout both pieces for each side of the galaxy. So going back to the ice side for a second, this piece is clearly in compound meter. We can hear that one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. That's the feeling of compound because the bigger beats, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, is dividing into three. On paper, I would notate this as six, eight. As the piece develops, more layers are added We hear the typically icy compositional elements of high, light, hollow instruments, almost music boxy, but flavored with those synthy, spacey timbres to remind us that we're in outer space. Mm -hmm. 
Then we have a key change, and suddenly we hear this interesting rhythm in the harp. That figure in the harp is dividing into two, not three. If three is this, one, two, three, one, two, three, the harp is going one, two, one, two, one, two. You can hear the difference if you do them one right after another. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two. Very different style. But the rest of the elements of the composition, aside from that harp line, the electric piano and the synth flute ostinato, are clearly still dividing into three there. Let's go back to our Wikipedia definition of polyrhythm. The use of two or more conflicting rhythms that are not perceived as deriving from one another. These two rhythmic figures are not derived from one another. They're operating in contrast and independently of one another, at the same time, in the same space. This is a polyrhythm. Now let's swing over to the fire side of the galaxy. So as we mentioned before, our compound meter ostinato in the flute is still there. It's plugging away throughout this entire piece. And this music is clearly based off of the same melodic material from the ice side. This is clearly still the same song. But on this side, the orchestration is more fleshed out. The melody appears in a lower timbre. The harmonies themselves have changed. And on the whole, the sound is more lush and full. And most obviously, we have a new jungle-like beat in the percussion that is definitely at odds with the rhythm of that ostinato flute. The percussion is dividing not into groups of two or three, but actually groups of four against the rhythm of the ostinato. If we had one, two, three, one, two, three, now we have one e and a two e and a three e and a. We're feeling a very different grouping there, even though the ostinato is still plugging away. The terminology is the same. If the ostinato is compound, then this division into four, which is a multiple of two, would still be called simple meter versus compound meter. It's another case of polyrhythm, but one more term we have to look at is cross-rhythm. You may have noticed that this piece is a little different in that from the beginning to the end of the piece, we're experiencing this four versus three feeling constantly. It's not just a brief occasion like we had in the ice side, where the harp just kind of interrupted and then floated away. The piece is setting us up for this four versus three from the beginning as a systemic compositional element. And that's exactly what a cross rhythm is. It's not a brief interruption to the meter of the piece. It's a regular pattern that is a basic part of the composition. And the fireside is depending on this cross rhythmic idea to create its unique atmosphere. appreciate how Yokota included some elements in both sides of the galaxy, so that there was some familiarity between the two areas, but clearly wanted a distinction to be made. Because while the compound 1-2-3-1-2-3 side of the composition was dominant on the ice side of the galaxy, it's clear on the fire side that the simple meter is dominant. That jungle beat 1 and a 2, 
E and a 1 and a 2. And this works really well thematically in terms of the environment and the atmosphere that the player is in. In Compound Meter, which in my opinion gives it more of a floaty, dance-like vibe, appropriate to the frozen, lifeless quality of that world, the Fireside is based on Simple Meter, which makes us feel more grounded, and it reminds me of the lava that is emerging from the ground in different areas of the level. All in all, I thought this was a really unique approach to creating the double-sided theme, and in a way that's not distracting to the player. You know, this is some pretty heavy compositional stuff. It's not like this piece is insanely complex, but this is a complex idea of presenting two meters on top of each other to have these complex polyrhythms. And I just really enjoy how it's not distracting to me as a player, but it's something that I can feel as I'm playing. And that's really what this is all about, is enhancing the gameplay. And I certainly think Yokota did that. And that'll do it for episode 32. I think that was an episode worthy of being named 32. Boy, was it. That was a great segment from Laura, especially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Having not heard it, I can say with a certainty that it was. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm sure it was. Having edited it personally, I can tell you it's a great segment. Um, yeah, I look forward to listening back on it. Um, I also look forward to people checking out Overclock Remix on the internet. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> they can do so at www.ocremix.org. You can find other great remixes there. There are forums to visit. Um, and just keep everything up to date on what OC Remix is doing. Yes. Uh, Twitter is a great place to learn more about us in particular, meaning the podcast. So you can send us messages or playlist submissions or whatever you like at OCR Podcast. You can email us at podcast at ocremix.org. And if you want to learn more about the creative projects that we make with our friends and see our original interview with Neil A. Cree that we talked about earlier uh, at Train Station at 8, you can find all of that at whalesrwhales.com. That's whales, A-R-E, whales. And we wanted to thank Sinshadas for writing this uh, episode. We wanted to thank Neil A. Cree for providing the interview this episode. And, of course, Lauren Travia for her wonderful segment. It's pronounced A. Cree. Oh, well, at least I got Entravia right. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard <laughs> uh, I'm not the one who talked to Neil, so I wasn't able to get the confirmation from his mouth. But I have apparently in the past <laughs> and forgot. Uh, also, yes. we would love iTunes reviews. Uh, if any of you listeners use iTunes, feel free to hop over there uh, and leave us a review. We'll read it out on the show. Even if it's a horrible review that wants to criticize our puns and use of segues, that's fine. I would love to read that. Yes, that'd be very fun. And because we didn't get any new ones, I'm just going to read the one from um, Jean backwards. Here work excellent. Again, funny being of point, the two up played really are that jokes bad. The and interviews, the in discussed topics, the hosts of oops, I messed up. All right, that's enough. He gave us uh, stars five. <laughs> yep <laughs> all right well i think that is that's getting cut out of the show <laughs> anyway folks now it's time to move on to the end where we go through the playlist
The Playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is MMO Music. Gustaberg from Final Fantasy XI and submitted by Square Evil. Yearning for Moonshadow, from the Elder Scrolls Online, and submitted by Zachary.
Welcome to Nova Praetoria, from City of Heroes and submitted by Kyle JCRB. The main theme from The Secret World, and submitted by Sin. Theme of Prontera from Ragnarok Online and submitted by OA.
Queer Arcs from Fantasy Star Online 2 and submitted by KC. from Anarchy Online and submitted by me. The Traveler's Path, from World of Warcraft Mists of Pandaria, and submitted by me. Pandafi Ya Huibon Suta Shingbeya Song Huikwan
been listening to the overclock podcast next week's theme is pokemon music to submit your suggestions or just say coffee hit us up on twitter at ocr podcast email us at podcast at ocremix.org or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org this week's lyrical wisdom pondafe wanja yahoo bong Suda, Shang Bei Ya Song, Hu Yui Kuang Shang, Fui, Lu Lang. <laughs>